live and pre-recorded. This is the Red Ticket Blues Podcast. I am Brian Buckley. This is being recorded on December 17th to hit the internet on December 18th. How's everybody doing? You can always listen to the show on iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, YouTube, and follow the show at BrianBuck13 and at Red Ticket Blues. So today we did a little 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 things different. We had uh, Mr. Neil Dwyer, who was a finalist in the WFAN Fantasy Phenom, who will have the opportunity to be on WFAN just next week, December 23rd from 1 a.m. to 2 a.m., yeah, tough spot, but I think he can handle it. And we we go through the entire uh, phenom process, going to school in Miami, and a few sports things. So everyone, take a listen. So today I'm lucky enough to have Mr. Neil Dwyer, who will have the opportunity of a lifetime on uh, Tuesday, December 23rd. Well, Tuesday going into Wednesday, uh, 1 to 2 a.m. He's been working hard for this his whole life, and other things abound. Uh, Neil, thank you for coming on the Red Ticket Blues podcast today. I'll tell you, I've been begging you for months to be on this podcast, so finally I'm on. It's a thrill. So we're doing this a second time because the uh, Skype quality was not perfect, and uh, and you. Yeah, the, I basically repeated the same joke the second time. <laughs> but I mean, everything afterwards, it was probably some of the best material that no one will ever hear, and that that's a damn shame when you think about it. Uh, well, after this week, we did word for word again. I wrote it down. Okay, good, good, good. Uh, Let's see. So where I wanted to start now, Neil is getting this opportunity to go on WFAN as he was a finalist in the WFAN Fantasy Phenom Contest, which uh, amateurs try out for a spot at WFAN. So we'll get into that process a little later, but I'm going to give the floor to Neil here. Uh, Neil, how exactly did you get involved in wanting to take that step into sports media and, you know, just growing up where you're from, things like that? How, How it all got started for Neil Dwyer? Well, boy, it would start probably since I was about 11. And my background, real quick, I'm from a little town called Monroe, New York. It's in the Hudson Valley, about an hour north of the city. Uh, growing up, I was a huge Yankee fan, Giants fan a little bit later on. Baseball was my first love going back to when I was five years old. 1998 was the first year I really remember the Yankees. And every day in the paper, basically the Yankees won. I can't remember a day that they lost. And I just remember reporting that to my dad every single day. The Yankees won. The Yankees won. Of anybody in my family, though, everyone's an athlete except me. I was always afraid of the ball. I was afraid of catching a ball, getting hit by a ball, spiking a ball, anything. Boo. I, was just, I had my little bubble dome. What's up? Boo. I had my little bubble dome. I actually thought you were going to say that the sound went out again. No, 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 no. no. I was booing you because you were afraid of the ball. That's why. Yeah, I really, uh, I had issues with playing sports, but I like sports, and I figured out that the only way, as far as I knew, was getting involved in sports without playing them would be to call the game. Like Michael K on the ass, I would watch the game every single night. And then one day, I'm flipping through the channels, I'm about 11, 12 years old, and I'm turning on the Yes Network, because why wouldn't I? I'm a Yankee fan, and there's these guys named Mike and the Mad Dog, on a split screen, screaming, ranting, especially dog, you know, twitching and sniffing the inside of his shirt and, you know, picking his nose, whatever he wanted to do that day. And I, I couldn't believe that these guys actually got paid to basically talk sports five hours a day. Insane. And I'm Insane. right away, I'm, and I'm like, this is what I want to do. And just through many years of, learning about baseball. The other thing about being a Yankee fan is you become a natural historian because which team is more ingrained in history and pop culture and has had interactions with more 
things outside of baseball than the Yankees. So when you become a Yankee fan, you become a baseball historian, and you become a, almost a, a pop culture historian. So that kind of ingratiates yourself into the talk show, how to tell a story, this and that. Went down to the University of Miami. Um, I know that was one of, on your list of topics. We could talk about that. Went down to UM, perfected my class there. And, you know, here we are. I always knew that once the Fantasy Phenom contest came out about five years ago, that that would be something I would definitely join. And when my number came up in the draft, it was time for me to go, and off I went. You know, uh, you mentioned university. Oh, before we get into it, so are you saying, uh, for the record, you are a pop culture historian? Is that what you're telling us? I I would consider myself that. Maybe not as much as a certain fan Simon, <laughs> but you know, other. Uh, but I like to consider myself well read and well cultured. I'm just messing with you. Uh, so you go to the University of Miami, and I'll tell you, I I admire people like you who, because you know, I look at something uh, when I was a kid and. You know, I always wanted to be involved in sports, but the idea of it actually happening was, you know, it was almost like a pipe dream. Like, I can't do that. I'm just going to go to a normal school and, you know, just not take things seriously for the next 10 years of my life. But you went down to University of Miami. You, 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 like you said, you worked on your craft and everything. What was the University of Miami like? I mean, you're very close to the uh, biogenesis lab there. If you ever saw A-Rod and Anthony Bosch hanging out or anyone else getting placebos, quote-unquote, uh, tell us about the University of Miami. Well, it's funny. A-Rod actually has his own suite because he donated about he $6, does. $7 million and uh, he, about seven, $6, 7000000 million to the baseball stadium that the Hurricanes play at. So he's got his own suite. I actually bumped into him. As he came out of the bathroom, I'm waiting for this whoever outside of the press box to get out of the bathroom so I could go. And it's A-Rod basically making a beeline for the elevator to leave that night. So that was my one little interaction with them. But as far as UM goes, that was – I almost happened by accident. Uh, the big program, if you're going into broadcasting, everyone shoves down your throat, especially if you're from New York or Syracuse. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, to me, it is the absolute most overrated program. I'm not afraid to say it. I would wow. say it to Syracuse. It is the absolute most overrated program. They don't even let you start doing anything until your junior year. That's calling games. That's being on TV, whatever you want, to, whatever you can think of. Miami, I was doing a show two months after I got on campus my freshman year. It came a little bit down. Syracuse actually didn't even accept me into Newhouse, their communication school. It just accepted me in the general population. So it came down to between Villanova and Miami. Villanova's communications program was horrid. It was actually the open house for the comm school was in one room of the science building. So they really didn't care about their comm program. So it came, so I went down to Miami, and to be honest, it was a little scary at first. I was, you know, I went to Catholic school my whole life, been around the same types of people, middle class, some upper middle class. I remember parking across the parking lot in high school from a rich family that, you know, drove a, almost a Bugatti to school every day. Uh, I thought my mom's Equinox was hot shit, but it really wasn't, you know, compared to this Ferrari across the parking lot. And Miami, I had this immediate stereotype of there's either drug dealers around every corner or there's like a Tony Montana with a mountain of coke. I didn't know what to expect. And ultimately, it became the best three and a half years of my life. I called Division One Sports. First day I'm down there, Nevin Shapiro's scandal breaks that for 10 years, he was basically an illegal booster to the U.N. football program. They go on self-probation as they're awaiting 
judgment from the NCAA for three years. It was a whirlwind ride. Jim Laranagi comes in with basketball. They go all the way to the Sweet 16. Need I say more? It was just a great three and a half years. Oh, and the college radio station, uh, their signal goes all the way up to Fort Lauderdale. So <laughs> it's, it's, it can't have to be a better pro- package than that. Yeah, so I, I get you where you're saying with the, the city of Miami. Now, what did you think about the city of Miami? I've been there twice, and I know there's certain people that love the city. I, in fact, hate the city. Um but uh, everyone has their own opinion. What did you think about the city at first? You, you said that you were you weren't you weren't sure what to expect outside of school. Did did you like the city of Miami? School actually is not in Miami. It's actually in a little town called Coral Gables, right. which is a bit of an upper crust community, about ten minutes south on ninety five, and then that merged into US one. Uh, so that, I really didn't see too much of the city. Uh, I was so involved with sports and calling games and being a part of that whole process, I really didn't go out to a ton of clubs, bars, anything like that. I was really just so focused. Uh, when I did get to go into Miami, it wasn't so bad. It wasn't, you know, like Miami Vice. That's yeah. been, that was 30 years That was thirty years ago. So what you really have is a very thriving art culture. They have a great, uh, they have a great literary culture. The Miami Bay Book Fair is one of the best. It's basically an automatic stop if you're a new, newly published author and you're making a book tour they almost always send you down there on the campus of Miami Day College, which is basically like a CUNY, like a, you right. Know, right in the middle of New York City. Uh, outside of that, they have, like I said, great arts culture, great theater culture, uh, very wealthy, obviously very wealthy town, poor Miami right there, Key Biscayne. If you go across the, the Bay of Biscayne, you get the beautiful beaches, the Sony opens there. So I actually like the city. I would move, I mean, besides FAN, I would move down there to talk Miami sports in a heartbeat. Yeah, I mean, you pointed out a lot of the great things about the city. I'll tell you why I hate it so much. Uh, it's full of fake people. It's, but that, I guess that's part of its allure. Um, everything on Ocean Drive is almost a tourist trap of massive proportions. You can get a margarita for eh, $27 possibly. I, I just didn't like the vibe. And yeah, the Art Deco scene is nice there. But I'll tell you, the last time I was there, my wife and I, we went to the uh, Marlins Park and took a tour because it was February. And then we got the hell out of town. And we just drove down to Key West. For me, like I said, uh, everyone has their own opinion. For me, driving down to the Florida Keys and just going to Key West was a lot better than spending any time in Miami. But that is no offense to you, Neil Dwyer. I know you, you value the city and the university and the university outside it, but I just wanted to let the world know that I do not like the city of Miami. So that's that. Well, I'll give you one quick Marlins Park story. I went there. I was supposed to go opening night uh, in 2014, Marlins and Rockies. My two cousins from Long Island, they actually moved there into, in Cutler Bay for six months. Uh, he had a job. His job transferred him down there. She didn't like it. She was actually she was pregnant at the time. She really didn't like being away from her support system back home. So they eventually moved back. It just wasn't the right fit at the time. But that particular day, that particular night in March, March 31st, we go down there. The place is jammed. It is an absolute zoo. And if you remember the, the park, it has one little parking garage. Outside of that, you're on your own. You're parking in little Havana in people's driveways. Yeah, I parked on the and street just to get in there. She didn't want to do that, and she just took off. Yeah, I, I parked on the street just to, I mean, there was, the parking spot was full and it wasn't even the season going on. I think it was just grounds crew or, or you know, anyone involved with the team. I parked on the street. Uh, one quick, another uh, good walkthrough, though, you can get in Marlins Park. You're sitting in the upper deck in right field 
don't know if it's every game, but the game I won, I went Mets, Marlins, Labor Day. We were off from school with a buddy of mine from Queens. And you get all you can eat for $22 out there. You get a game seat, and you get to eat as much as you want the whole game. So who could be that? That is definitely a positive. I have to give him that. So let, let's let's jump into the Phenom process. I had uh, Joe Gillio on, uh, who is a sportscaster or a sports talk show host for WIP in Philadelphia and WFAN sometimes. Uh, he was the winner of the Phenom eh, a few years ago, it, but it, every year it's a little different. So what was the process like for you? Well, from what I've seen, like when John Jastrzemski won and Julio won, I think it was actually a bit of a harder process. I think it was actually more rounds years ago. They did it 10, 11, 12, 13, and then it took a break in 14. They didn't do it that year. And I actually interned at CBS, the CBS Sports Radio side, which is basically WFAN. It's the same floor. You see the same people. You're just on a different scale. You're doing national sports, not FAN. So I remember asking JJ about, you know, do you think it'll be come back? And he wasn't sure, but he said, you know, you know, don't worry about it. You know, graduate in December and get back to it. Sure enough, they reload the contest in February. February 11th, I go to the Palisades, stand in line. I actually met Simon and Yonkers before I knew him as Simon you and Yonkers. You met Simon and Yonkers? I did, and I didn't oh even God. know who he was at the time. You know, now we're all friends, you know, wow. with the Mondo Nation, but... Never did I, I didn't even know who he was. I just knew him as kind of this uh, guy who was talking real fast about the Jets, and he's kind of annoyed and stuff. You know, that's basically that's Simon in a nutshell, yeah, if you don't know. Right. And uh, so it was my turn to go up. I was nervous, but, you know, the, you know, the uh, promotions guys there, they're very nice. They say, you know, good luck, you know, just relax. It was Evan Roberts and Mark Chernoff judging that night. And stand up there, Evan's like, hey, how you doing? What's your name? You introduce yourself. And then you do your two, your two minutes field. Now you have only two minutes. When two minutes is up, your microphone turns off. So you better get, make your point within two minutes. That's what they want to hear you at. Excuse me. And they should have then that you uh, during the, the the debates. They should have that same sort of thing where your microphone goes. Well, down. well, listen. Some of those voices will transcend the sounds You're of the acoustics of the arena. Right. You know. <laughs> Uh, so then when you get up stage, the first 50 people there actually get a little gift bag with an FAN t-shirt. That's where I got my FAN fantasy phenom shirt from. And, uh, I think it was another souvenir in the bag. I forget what it was. Actually, not only was Simon there, but Marsha, one of the other finalists was behind me in line. And I struck up a conversation with her, uh, cause she had an NBA finals bag when we were talking about, uh, sports and things like that. So, uh, and they had three audition spots. The Palisade was one. They had one in Long Island, which is just unaccess- unaccessible to me. Uh, then they had one down in Central Jersey, the Edison Mall uh, in Menlo Park. I went down there, too, because you can go to all three things if you want. And I went down there just for practice, just have some fun. I go back uh, from Menlo Park. It's a blizzard on the Garden State. I'm uh, basically driving in third gear, 30 miles an hour on a snow-covered highway. Uh, so I'm basically risking my life for this process. But sure enough, I get a, I get the call uh, about a couple of days later from FAN saying, hey, you moved on. Uh, you're now in the second round. So now I'm the top 13 of 200 contestants wow. that have uh, that have auditioned. By the way, the, the audition, uh, my spiel at Palisades was, uh, it was A-Rod coming back that year. Uh, he had mentioned he met with Barry Bonds in, in California. They were, they were chit-chatting, and 
he said something about breaking his record. So I kind of ranted on that for a little while. And Chernoff was actually really interested. I remember him kind of smiling at me as I was doing the thing. So that kind of gave me a little confidence. Uh, but anyway, going back to the second round, top 13. Now you have to get all fan votes. Nothing to do with, I think it may have a little bit to do with behind the scenes. You know, some of made Chernoff and Eric Spitz there. Uh, we'll, we'll determine it from there. But mostly, so I was self-promoting myself on Instagram. I was on the ra- I was on this local radio station back up north. Just being a modern-day whore, right? Yeah, basically. You, you know, have basically to whoring. You have to <laughs> because, You know, some people call whoring yourself out. I call it just self- self-promotion. <laughs> Either way. Listen, I'm trying to have a career. I don't want to be saying whore and stuff like that. That's okay. Podcast. I understand. I understand. Uh, but anyway, so... Then a couple of days after that, it was March. I think I think it was March seventh. I get a call from a two one two number. I'm like, this is it. I answer the phone, and the guy's like, I, I think it was uh, one guy from Promotions, and he's asking me how I'm doing. And I said I'm all right, and he's like, well, I got some good news for you. And I just start laughing. I'm like, do you have some good news? He's like, yeah, you made it. You're top six. Uh, you're going to be with Boomer and Carton on St. Patrick's Day in Connolly's. And I was just thrilled. I couldn't believe it. I could and. The day of that event, uh, and by the way, sorry if this is too long. I know this whole thing is very long. If you want to split it up into a couple of questions, no, no, that's, that's totally okay. fine with me. Keep going. Keep March seventeenth, yeah, March seventeenth. I'm at Connolly's uh, Irish Bar in Midtown Manhattan, and there's Boomer and Card. Now, the six of us meet there six in the morning. Uh, they told us to get there, I think, by six thirty or seven thirty. I forget which. And now we're all scared to death because we think that that our part of the finals is that process. And Chernoff comes to us, the six of us, and he's like, look, we're just looking at some fun this morning. And yeah, they're going to do their shtick with you. This has nothing to do with any of the process. Because they laid out like a whole breakfast buffet for us to eat. And no one was touching the food because we were all so nervous. Uh, so then he realized that and he's like, guys, relax. It's okay. Not judging you on today. So we get on line in front of Boomer and Carton, and I was actually wound up being first in line. Uh, Carton wants to know uh, who I am, where I'm from, uh, how did I get here. Uh, and he, uh, he asked me what my favorite show was, and I said, well, I listened to you guys a lot in high school, and I also love Mike. He said, well, it's got to be one. I said, it's Mike. Now, that, of course, is a little nerve-wracking to do because you're trying to get in good with the program. Meanwhile, you know very well that the morning and afternoon shows do not get along. Right. Uh, to say the least, it's a little bit of a touchy subject, but he's like, uh, did you listen back when Dog was on? I said, yeah, of course. And he's like, can you do a Dog impression? Uh, I don't know if you remember, it was a very bad impression. It was, I was a little nervous, and it almost sounded like Dog was uh, from uh, Saudi Arabia or something like that. It didn't sound like he was from Syosset. Uh But I did, I did that Dog laugh, and everybody was kind of laughing around him, and uh, Carter was like, oh, my God. So he let me, uh, you also do, now, that morning you do a minute, of whatever you want to talk about. And it was a couple of days before the opening day of the March Madness. So I did three upset specials, two of which I, re- I did my whole process. Then I reviewed, I said it was Stephen F. Austin over Utah. It was Eastern Washington over Georgetown. And I, and I stopped dead in my tracks. I could not remember the third one that I mentioned. It turned out it was New Mexico State over Kansas. Now, listen, everybody else messed up, too, but it was so embarrassing at the time. Uh, I remember Pat McGlynn, who actually wound up winning the whole thing, he forgot Syndergaard's name when he was talking about how how Wheeler got Tommy John surgery and how Syndergaard was going to have to step up. He actually forgot his name. 
So we all kind of screwed up, but ultimately it's a fun process. Later in the show now, we have to pick we pick our mentor. That's Boomer, Carton, Joe, Evan, Mike, and Steve Summers. And we have to randomly pick gigantic blown-up photos of the six of them turned around on big easel, easels. You step in front of one, and then it's revealed. So I pick, like, the second from the left, and then they go right to left. And it was like Mike was the first, Boomer, Joe, Carton. And it's like it was either Carton or Schmooze. And I was really kind of nervous about having Schmooze, and I turned out to have him. And I was like, oh, my God, what is this going to be like? But turned out I met with Schmooze about a week later, and it was the best option possible. He was just so nice and accommodating. He met with me for an hour. And you know how he is. Right, he's very, right. you know, he's really got to get close to these. And he's like, you know, you and Neil have a lot of talent. I listen to you for 10 seconds. And I know if I put you in one of those studios right now and turn the light on, you could do it. And I'm like, oh, thanks very much. He signed my hat for me. We all got Team Cartons, Team Summers, Team Francesa, little, like, flat-billed caps. So he signed my hat. Uh, I didn't get to go on his show. I was the only one of the finalists that didn't get to go on the show of our mentor because he was preempted by Devil's Hockey, of course, that night. He was only on for 20 minutes. But uh, it was a good process. And uh, that, of course, leads up to April Fool's Day with Mike Francesa. Yeah, you, uh, you, you, were, you were lucky enough. I guess I forget exactly where was this held. It was a, sort of a big theater, so to speak, where he, he had everyone on. And who were the, who were the guests? There was John Jastrzemski, Kim Jones, and Tiki Barber, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you got to do your spiel. I think you took – did you take a few callers or was it actually the the, the – the judges asking you questions. I actually forget off the top of my head. Okay, so April 1st, we were at the Hard Rock in right by Times Square. If you get all, go on the subway up from Penn Station, you get off, you walk a block up and left here at the Hard Rock. And there's a little cafe on the bottom. You enter, there's a store. You go downstairs, there's a, there's a restaurant, and there's a big stage, and there's Mike. So when we get there, the six of us get there for lunch, uh, I actually wound up being the only one eating, which is kind of weird because I'm a very nervous, anxious person. Everyone else was more nervous than me. So Chernoff has these six slips of paper, one through six, and you pick them out, and I got four. So it goes in the order of when you're appearing on with Mike. Uh, so I got four. Uh, Pat, the winner, we got six. Uh, uh, the Sam's got one and two, so on and so forth. Uh, so you go on, you do, uh, Mike introduces you, you talk with him a little bit, then he lets you run the show. Now, back in the studio, they did these little custom introductions where they have, uh, like almost like an automated, uh, saying of your name. So it's like Neil Dwyer on the fan. Now I didn't know they were doing it for me. So I started talking as the music was going. Oh, good job. So it was, so it was an awkward, it was an awkward pause. Uh, and Mike, and we laughed it off. Mike said, you know, they took the, you know, like, uh, don't worry about it. Relax. It's all right. Uh, we started again, did the music and I did my spiel that month. That day was the day that Chris Mullen was hired as the St. John's head coach. The other five did Chris Mullen monologues. I thought that was absolutely ridiculous. We didn't know what was going to happen with St. John's. Look at St. John's now, in retrospect. Yeah. They lost to Fordham. They lost to Fordham. They lost to a Division okay. II team by 30 points to open the season. So I didn't, we didn't know what was going to happen. Meanwhile, we're not sure who the Yankee closer is for the first time since 19... If you, want to, if you go back to Steve Howe in the early 90s, maybe since like 1993... 
you don't, you're not, you don't even know who the Yankee closer is because Robinson went, D Rob went to the White Sox, and now you have Andrew Miller getting uh, called up from the Orioles, and the Orioles, Orioles and the Red Sox the previous year, and you have Dylan Betances, the eighth inning guy from the year before. And I made my case for Dylan Betances. Some people argued Jastrzemski, uh, uh, especially, you know, they, he felt the language I used was a little too strong. I felt I almost demanded, in fact, I did demand that Girardi make him the closer. He's earned the role. I felt he earned the role from the year before. The eighth inning man always goes into that ninth inning role when the closer leaves. Uh, some of them felt the language a little too forward, a little too strong, like I should have... Uh, Went around a little bit. I don't know. Uh, I took two calls afterwards. One was on uh, one guy was a St. Louis Rams fan. He wanted to know wanted to know my take on the folds for Bradford trade. When the guy mentioned the Rams, by the way, I kind of laughed. I don't know if you remember. I do remember. I don't. I didn't laugh because I was nervous that he was going to ask me about the Rams secondary. I just thought, how funny is this that a Rams guy be calling randomly into WFAN? Yeah, I, uh, I don't know what, what the motivation was there, especially during the middle of a contest to have a St. Louis Rams call. I, I Mind-boggling. Uh, Kim Jones took that. She thought I was unpre- not unprepared, but thought I was nervous. I told her, look, I'm not, I, knew, I know my divisions. I know the Rams uh, uh, at least well enough to discuss it intelligently. And then I forget the second call. The second call was on Chris Mullen, and I talked about that. And Jastrzemski felt that the question was, do you, do you feel that these schools are get, doing a disservice to assistant coaches by not promoting them and instead hiring the flashy name? I argue that, yeah, you know, instead of you know promoting from within, uh, Marsha, right before me, had said that St. John's didn't make the easy easy choice with Maul, and I said, I think they absolutely made the easy choice. He's a flashy name. He's their last big star if you really think about it, from the, the glory years in the mid-'80s, 30 years ago, uh, really when that, that team was last good, and instead leaving maybe a more maybe somebody that's ready to take over the reins from Steve Lavin within the system. So just kind of people, thought I should have addressed that a little bit more. I kind of went around a little too much. And I should have, in retrospect, I should have practiced taking calls a little bit more, you know, trying to stretch out an answer, stretch out a point. If if you watch Mike, he stretches out a call and answers for a call for a good two minutes. Yeah, many times. Many times, I think when you when you learn how to do it, or you know, I don't mean you, but I mean someone like Mike has learned how to do it, and uh, you're able to stretch the call out, and you pose these questions that, and this is a Mike Francesa staple because I've been I've been a part of it. Uh, where you phrase these questions and then put words in the person's mouth. Now, obviously, you weren't going to do this in this situation, but I think that's just a trick of the trade that I thought I'd bring up. Put words in people's mouths and uh, have them defend that, and it stretches out the call even longer. But that, again, that's just a Francesa, uh, you know, uh, his calling card. But go ahead. And uh, so, I, but listen, you know, the judges, they're only doing their job. I have no ill will. I'm just commenting on what they said and, you know, my kind of view on it. Uh, Tiki Barber had nothing but nice words to say. Uh, he felt, uh, and he actually wanted to asking me a little bit about Miami because he kind of wanted to test out my knowledge. Don't forget, he also does national radio with Brandon Tierney from nine to twelve on the CBS end of things. I remember them when they did six to nine the summer I interned there. So he wanted to test out my knowledge, and when I gave the good answers I did, he's like, you know, I, I, that's what I knew. I knew your knowledge was good. I wanted to test it out, and. I think he'd be, you know, so he had nothing but nice things to say. He was kind of like, uh, 
he was a good cop, if you will. Not right. that you know the other the bad cops, but he was the good cop. Uh so ultimately that's where it ended. Mike talked to me a little bit more and then I went off the stage. Uh the other two went, Brandon uh, Contest went fifth and Pat McGlynn, who wound up winning, went sixth. Uh, some of the calls were interesting. Pat got a was he got a wrestling call, uh, yeah. Rick Slayer wrestling call. Uh, Tim and Milford called Sam Mines about Mongo Nation, which kind of put him on the spot a little bit. I know Tim's going to be listening, so he'll be grilling me on that. But hey, that's just my take on it. Uh, so, so a lot of the calls were interesting, but ultimately, look, it's a day I'll never forget. Uh, it came down to a fan vote. I, uh, I didn't obviously win. Uh, Mark Scherner was nice enough to give me the call himself and tell me, look, you didn't win, but, you know, you made it this far. And we're thinking, that, um, well, we'll probably give you the five of you a little airtime over the holidays, so just stay tuned. I said, thank you. And that was that, but it was a day I'll never forget for sure. Absolutely. I mean, and you're still, you know, taking advantage of that opportunity and that day that you'll never forget. Like I said earlier in the program, you'll be on WFAN on December 23rd from 1 to 2 a.m. So if you are awake or if you're not awake, uh, record Neil as he gets an hour to tell you uh, everything. Uh, have you got your uh, – I didn't want to say what you're going to tell people. Have you got your agenda ready or are you just going to play it by ear that day? Well, first of all, I also want to say regarding uh, Chernoff, I really, I, I, if I actually ever see him, I really want to thank him from the bottom of my heart because so many times in this industry, things are promised and they just don't come through. And it came through. And I really thought for a second, well, this might have something made nice he wanted to say to us, but he came through and I absolutely cannot wait for next week. So I want to thank him for that. Uh, as far as next week goes, I'm just looking to just blend in with the flow of the station and stay topical. Uh, if a big free agent signing, you know, I'm hoping something big happens, you know, like a big free agent signing at the, at the 11th hour. Uh, if that happens, I'll be right on it and talking about it for, from one to two. So positives, you're going to be on WFAN, national sports radio. Well, it's a local sports radio, but a national you know, sports radio uh, institution. Uh, cons, it's possible you could be taking calls from drunkards proposing completely outrageous trades. Are you ready for that? Listen, I was a security guard. I did dorm security down in Miami for a year and a half. Now, this was all night. I dealt with people. Down the, down the road in the spring is basically Miami's version of Woodstock. It's, in fact, it's Miami's version of Electric Daisy Carnival. It's called UltraFest. These people would show up high on PCT, acid, ecstasy, whatever you want to call it, That's rambling on to me. But the problems that the card reader wasn't working, if I could deal with that, I could deal with guys over the phone. I, I like the analogy. I like the correlation. That's good. Uh, I want to move into a few things you brought up uh, in the Phenom process. Uh, you, you talked about sports radio and how you've interned at different places and on the national show. So w when you look at sports radio, I, I, you know it's an acquired taste or everyone has their own opinion. If they like the national show, something like Mike and Mike on ESPN or just the local hard-hitting uh, you know, sports radio format, something like WFAN and, of course, there's morning shows that have a little bit of comedy and sports involved in it. If you had to pick, obviously, right now you are looking to get in the business and get your feet wet as a, as a star, as someone on the, on the radio. If you had your choice, what would be your choice out of those three sort of venues? As far as what, like local, national, and what else? I'm it's just, uh, I guess... Morning show is could be both technically if you want to look at it that way, but involved with a morning show, a national sports talk show format, or a local sports show format. 
So if you want, if I want to do analogies to FAN hose, gun to your head. Gun to your head. So remember that. Was that gun to your head? Remember that. You know, gun to your head. Exactly. All decisions are made with gun to your head, of course. Uh, I would say I have the compassion's the wrong word. I would say I kind of have the intimacy on the phone with Steve Summers. I would say I have the desire to learn of, of Francesca. And I have the passion of Beningo. So it's kind of those three together. I think I'm most wired for like a nice seven to midnight program. Somewhere, you know, you're reacting to games as they happen. Right. Sipping on a cup of coffee, talking with diehards from bars at home that night, wanting to know, okay, uh, Yankees lost on the last, in, uh, last uh, minute Grand Slam in Fenway. It's August 31st. We're down to last month. What's going to happen, Neil? Tell me we're going to be okay. Like they're kind of on their last leg, and you kind of laugh at them a little bit. I'm not wired to do what Frances, what Mike Francesa does. I don't he think many people are. Flick. I don't think many. Oh no, no, he is. But I'm saying like he's a real X's and O's type of guy, and I'm just not. Not that I don't know X's and O's, but I just like I like entertaining. I like having fun. I like uh, kind of being the best friend of the guy on the other line. That's all I kind of do. And I know. Well, you want to get to that later, the play-by-play end of things. I'm much more of an entertainer, an old-time, you know, if you want to use old writers, Damon Runyon, Granlin Rice, people like that, rather than, you know, around the horn, you know, somebody that's, like, really in-depth and in the locker room and, you know, figuring out the X's and O's and the and, and VORP, you know, uh, kill me the day I started analyzing VORP on the air. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm just, I'm definitely wired for just a nice, Easy, easy listening, best friend type of show. So before I get into that play-by-play talk, I want to ask you, who do you think is the best sports broadcaster in the game? Play-by-play, color man, who is the best sports? When I say best sportscaster, who immediately comes to your mind? Howie Rose. Howie Rose, really? I absolutely love Howie Rose. Now, I've actually kind of grown and to you're like a, You're John a Yankee Houston. fan too, right? Uh, listen, Yankee fans are very jealous of what's going on in Queens right now. Oh, absolutely. Me. Uh, I've grown, it's funny, uh, I actually started liking John and Susan a little more when Jimmy Trainer did a Bob's Blitz interview and he said he liked them. And I kind of listened to them a little bit more. I'm like, you know what, this shit isn't so bad. It's not, you know, you get, you get your knowledge, it's a little goofy, but hey, you know, Susan's one of the best, I mean, you look at Susan's resume, she's one of the best in the business, oh. bar none. Absolutely. You know, you know, she's been in the locker room. She's written. She's done radio, TV. She's one of the best in business. So if you want an insider, she's your gal. Uh, but Howie is just a great combination of insider and best friend on the radio. And Josh Lewin is too, you know, with the Mets and also the, the Chargers out in San Diego. Uh, Mets do a great job of kind of getting those good, that good combination of best friend and insider. Burkhart was that way too when he was on SNY. You know, you, I don't, I guess... I don't want to say I, I don't know much about Howie Rose, honestly, and especially with their no longer being on WFAN. I'm definitely not searching for the Mets uh, play-by-play radio, but I will say with John and Susan, uh, I go through moods with them. There's certain, there's certain times when I'm defending them to other people, and then there's other times I'm riding in the car and I just want to take a baseball bat to my radio. But I guess it all depends on how the Yankees are doing at the same time, too. That's probably a major, right. major, because they're so kidding and, and jokey sometimes. And, you know, it's just not as fun when the Yankees are playing like garbage. Um, oh, yeah. If the Yankees are doing like a nine-game losing streak, you don't want to hear. And that, and that is the 15th out of the ball game, brought to you by Gotto. 15% could take you 15% on car insurance. Yeah. Jim Gardner. 
Yeah. Oh, for five. Yeah. With three strikeouts. Yeah. So I, I, I totally understand. Yeah, and Ortiz is another one. That's the Yankees' power report. So, yeah, when the Yankees are down 7 to nothing. Uh, Play-by-play. Now, you are a guy who is involved with play-by-play. Right now, you are you are working with uh, – what is it? It is wet well, – yeah, yeah, I can't talk there. I'm sorry. With uh, West Point. Now, what exactly are you doing with West Point? Well, I got that gig. Uh, my uncle uh, knew the sideline reporter for Army football. So, listen, it is who you know, but I have a great relationship with them. I've been working there since October. Uh, mainly, I work on the production end of things. They have the uh, they're in the Patriot League in college, and the Patriot League does a great job with advertising their sports. If they're not on, let's say the CBS Sports Network, Army's every home game for Army is on CBS Sports Network. Uh, Army and a lot of Patriot League basketball games are on the CBS Sports Network. Outside of that, there isn't too much mainstream coverage. So the Patriot League formed what they what's called the Patriot League Network. It's a series of webcasts, and I work the production end of things. I do graphics, I do camera work, I set everything up uh, with the other guys there. And then when they need it, uh, because there's so many sports going on on these webcasts, I do fill in play-by-play. So I got the chance to call a volleyball game, a very good volleyball game between Army and American uh, in, from, from Washington, D.C., uh, which were 1-2 at the time in the league on Halloween, believe it or not, uh, from West Point. Good volleyball game, and I probably will have a few more chances to do some fill-in work in the spring, lacrosse, softball, things like that. And listen, as far as Army goes, Army is our Notre Dame. The way people talk about Notre Dame with the reverence and the respect, when I tell people I work at West Point, people kind of look at me like in awe, like you get to work there. If you've ever been on campus, it's beautiful going through security, going through those beautiful those stone buildings. They look like fortresses, but at the same time, you could picture – you know, Benedict Arnold, of all people, the funny thing was Benedict Arnold betrayed the Ameri- but betrayed George Washington because he felt West Point was beneath him, and he went to the Brits. Uh, and look at West Point today. It's basically a symbol of military resurgence for the last 250 years. Uh, it's just a beautiful campus. They have their own legendary history. They, listen, they haven't been doing a lot of winning in the past 60 years, but just being just being there is just a thrill. I, I said to this to the guy that hired me, I said, I'm not blowing smoke at all just because I'm in your office. Besides my alma mater, this this is the place I'd love to work. That uh that's that's pretty impressive, uh being able to we- being able to work at West Point and you're just beginning there, so I mean your opportunities are only gonna get larger. Um yes, and Benedict Arnold is a treasonous bastard that hates freedom. Uh so if I had to ask you, play-by-play or your sports talk show of your, a sports talk show of your own, what would you choose? Remember, proverbial gun to your head. Oh, sports talk, okay. 100%. Okay. Play-by-play for me is a bit of a wedge into the business because if you start out doing just sports talk, unless you're like a real, like Evan, like Evan Roberts has had an amazing career. You know, right. he's basically a teenage protege. Uh, he did sports for Imus when he was 10. So, you know, that career is going to come around once every 10,000 years. It's just not going to happen to everybody. So unless you win fantasy phenom or have a career like Evan, you're starting out doing sports talk in markets that, frankly, you really don't care about that much. Mm-hmm. You know, it's tough for me to really rant about the Arizona Cardinals or or even or forget Arizona. That's a dream. Or rant about, you know, or rant about two lanes lost to Houston from New Orleans. I mean, it's just, it's hard to do because you're just not connected. I need to feel connected 
to the teams that I'm ranting about. So a lot of successful Michael Kay, uh, so a lot of guys in a lot of guys nationally, guys in the West Coast, Florida. A lot of those guys are either writers, uh, Levitar is another example, or play-by-play guys. So for me, writing is just a schlep. You're 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 going to some podunk town and writing for a newspaper that maybe three people read. Newspapers are unfortunately dying. I'm I'm an old man. I'm I'm so, so insistent that newspapers will never die, but the evidence, the writing, no pun intended, is on the wall. Yeah, uh, with that dailies are going, dailies are going away. Weeklies are becoming more of the standard. Uh, so really, the way in is play by play. Newspapers will die, Neil. I'm sorry. That's that's uh, just a reality. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a dinosaur. Admittedly, I'm like I mentioned Damon Runyon and Grantland Rice. Like I'm like they're my peers <laughs> or something like that. I just have respect for those people. Oh, they wrote at a time where. You didn't get any news or information yeah. from anything but the newspaper. So you had to be descriptive. That's right. why that's my approach. So you, you brought up college basketball earlier, and uh, I think we're both big college basketball fans. I, however, I will admit I have not paid enough attention this year as I as much as I normally do on December 17th. Um, from my point of view, it looks like this season we're going to have the number one uh, the number one spot is going to change rapidly. There is no great team that is going to excel for the entire year. I think you're going to see one through ten go up and down all the time. Uh, your thoughts on the 2015-2016 uh, top team so far? Well, like you say, this is really the coming out party for the mid-majors. North Carolina was the one lost to uh, Northern Iowa in Northern Iowa. Kentucky was the number one. Goes out to UCLA, loses. Monmouth is beating everybody. I can't believe this. Mike was making fun of Reggie Miller because he's a UCLA alum. Right after UCLA lost to them, and he's like, you realize this is a, that's a racetrack, right? That's not a school. Uh, I'm trying to get the hashtag more than a racetrack going every time Monmouth wins. Uh, Monmouth's bench has his own Twitter account. Monmouth's beating everybody. And the MAC, the, the NAAC, was just the home for Manhattan and Iona for so many years. And all of a sudden, that little team in Jersey is making quite, a, quite their mark and impact on uh, college basketball this year. Now, Michigan State's up there. They'll probably lose to somebody. Conference has always been vulnerable for years and years and years for either losing in the regular season or going all the way and then breaking your heart in March. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to see change a lot of times, just like you said. Yeah, UCLA, it's funny you bring them up. Uh, Monmouth beat them. And UCLA, and it's that's an even bigger uh, you know mark for Monmouth now because UCLA is now a top 25 team. I think they're number 22 last time I checked. Uh, my team, UConn, this year, uh, they played a little more difficult schedule than they normally do. I mean, they have the behemoths left for the rest of the year in Massachusetts, Massachusetts Lowell, and Central Connecticut. But they, they've, they've played some good teams. But they've lost to them, Syracuse, Gonzaga, and Maryland last week. But they, outside of Texas and Georgetown, I think, for the rest of the year, they're playing only a... Uh, they're only playing the conference schedule, the AAC, which is a freaking joke. Uh, so we'll see what goes on with them. That, that's my first mention of UConn this year whatsoever on the podcast. Team has no leader. Daniel Hamilton would be the one to step up, but I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, so let me let me ask you about college basketball, though. And I've been a big college basketball fan for a long time. And I don't think the game, the sport itself, is healthy. Uh, I feel like the one and done has ruined things. 
and you're there's no basics being taught anymore. The field goal percentage has dropped a lot in college basketball. Do you see anything getting better? Do you do you agree with me? Am I ass wrong? Ass backwards, I should say, ass wrong. Well, what what are your thoughts on uh, the state of the game? Uh, I'm sure you agree with me. One of my all-time favorite 30 for 30s is Requiem for the Big East. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, not enough UConn, though. Would, not enough UConn that, in that 30 for 30. Not enough. It was BS. But go ahead. Uh, listen, that, that conference was made on rivalries. You know, Pearl Washington at Syracuse, Chris Mullen at St. John's, Pinckney at Villanova, Ewing at Georgetown. And by the way, Georgetown is such a joke now. I mean, they lost to... I, you know, they lost to Duke and Maryland. I'm like, all right, you know, it's Duke and Maryland. Right. They lose to Monmouth, and now Monmouth's beating everybody, but still, that's pathetic. You know, 30 years ago, that would have been laughable oh, if you, God. you know, told John Thompson and Patrick Ewing that one day their school would lose to a little team in Jersey. Uh, that, that They would have just, you know, looked at you like you had four heads. Right. But that conference was made on rivalries. The, the ACC, college basketball in general, the ACC made on rivalries. You know, Michael Jordan, Doherty. Uh, James Worthy, Carolina, uh, originally Jay Burris and Johnny Dawkins at Duke, and then later, of course, Christian Leitner for four years, uh, all four years. Probably the most successful college basketball career of all time, going to the Final Four every single year at Duke. Uh, so he really had the best run of anybody that I can think of, capped off by that last-second that last second shot in uh, the spectrum against Kentucky. But rivalries are going away, and it's because – the media's placed so much emphasis on high school sports. 30 years ago, high school sports were were visible on a local TV channel, and the picture was fuzzy. Now it's on ESPN, coast to coast. Maybe LeBron did that. You know, every game, even Yes uh, had shown one of his games uh, in Ohio, was it St. Vincent, St. Mary. Maybe LeBron did that. I don't know, but I totally agree with you. Women Dunn's had... Ruin the sport. I grew up in the Big East. From being in New York, I was the manager of a high school basketball team. That's what you talked about every Tuesday morning. What happened on Big Monday the night before? Oh, Going over yeah. Georgetown, Syracuse. Uh, and then I go to an ACC school in Miami, so I'm a college basketball junkie. And thank God Miami hasn't had those one and dones outside of maybe Shane Larkin that was there two years. At least he gave you those two years. But one and dones have killed it. Yeah, and I think like they they just I think the media and just because these guys I don't know what it is like you said maybe LeBron started it but we become obsessed with these top players like Ben Simmons of LSU he's a very good player and he's going to be a very good pro but I mean this guy is a freshman in college and he's doing interviews on national radio that that just seems like it was insane like that guy how many games had he even played at that point that he was going to be on Mike Francesa's show I mean that just shows you how much college basketball has changed and the game itself I mean I'm not gonna you you see a more pure game from the like you said the mid-majors who play a team game who take high percentage shots now I, I feel like it's just I don't want to sound like an old, crusty white guy and be like it's a little playground-oriented, but it is. I think the fundamentals are missing from there. And you see these guys, and they're not just ready in the NBA, and it takes a few years for them to mature into something. That being said, I can't blame those guys for going pro. I can't. No, I mean, the money and the glory is there. Uh, one of the other big travesties in college baseball that nobody's talking about, really, is that women now are playing quarters in that 20-minute halves. You know, college basketball is the great grind, the 20-minute half, the struggle. 
And to divide it up like that, I think it kind of uh, waters down the game a little bit. I'm sure a lot of women's head coaches and a lot of women's basketball advocates would agree with me on that. I didn't even know that. When did they start doing that? This year. This year. Jeez. I did not know that. That That is a big deal. You're absolutely right. I mean, you could have your you could have people say, well, they're still playing the same amount of time. But you're right. It's a grind. It's a, You're changing the complexity of the game. Uh, wow. That is breaking not uh, breaking news to the Red Ticket Blues podcast there. Uh, bad, bad, bad. Well, that was over the summer, so the breaking news is about six months too late. But go ahead. <laughs> uh, there's one thing I wanted to talk to you about here, um, and that is now, now you're younger than me. So I, I'm a little not shocked, a little surprised that you'd be interested in this same. This was a terrible transition, by the way. There was no transition whatsoever. I'm just going right into this. Uh, into the Simpsons, which, in my opinion, is the greatest television program of all time. Uh, you now for two reasons why I'm surprised that you're into it. One, there's lots of other things you can watch these days than when the Simpsons came out. There's a lot more selection, and there's a lot of funny stuff out there. And two, the Simpsons have not been good in so long that it's almost painful when you see them on television. So how did you, I, this is kind of just, uh, I'll just say it out there. How, how did you become a Simpsons fan at your age? All right, so number one, I, I have a photographic memory, if you didn't figure that out by now, which basically which half the reason why I'm a good, you know, being a sportscaster is because of my memory. Uh, so that's how I remember a lot of the lines and situations and things like that. Uh, how did I get into Simpsons? I think that was, that was, I think I just watched it on TV one night. I must have been like 11 or so. I liked it. And my uh, mom got me the fourth season on DVD. And that's what I grew up. I grew up on old Simpsons. I didn't grow up on new Simpsons. Oh, boy. And Good for you. if you look at it 20 years later, the writing still holds up. And it's still funny. I mean, uh, we were talking about, uh, how did I, I forget how I got, I got in a situation, but I was doing references to when Krusty uh, meets his father again. Jackie Mason does the rabbi's right. voice. And it's like, uh, Rabbi, is it right to buy, is it, should I buy a Chrysler? And he's like, well, if I don't you uh, rephrase that to a more of a spiritual and meaningful question, Rabbi, is it right to buy a Chrysler? Yes, more <laughs> mileage means more gain. It's, like, it's just so funny. The and the writing just holds up now. You compare that to the lazy sitcom writing, you get now where everything, you know, is a sexual joke. The writing just holds up now. And you know what? If you watch some systems now, it's still kind of good. They just did a one where um, it plays on the movie Boyhood. It's called Barthood. So it follows Bart when he's like a little kid to when he's an adult. And basically, did you ever see that movie, yeah, by the yeah, way? Yeah, I saw Boyhood. But basically, it's the same thing. It shows how like little experiences throughout his life mold. And it shows how Homer kind of ignoring him and kind of doing his own thing, how it kind of made him a bit of a rebel and very closed off and the one person that paid attention to him, ironically, was his grandpa, was Grandpa Simpson. Uh, but it still holds up. And I think it's because, if you want, to, want the answer I was thinking about today, I think it's because Mac Rainey, outside of Futurama, didn't do really any projects besides the Simpson. If you look at Seth MacFarlane, he's a great entertainer and a genius, but he does too much stuff. Yeah. And that's why Family Guy got diluted after a while, too. That's why it's being filled up with cutaways. If you look at South Park, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, that's basically been their, you know, love child for 15 years outside of Team America and the Book of Mormon. That's been their project. Seth MacFarlane has about 10,000 shows on, plus he sings, plus he hosts concerts, plus he hosts award shows. He just doesn't have the time to make it 
as good as it one as it once was. I, I think the Simpsons holds up from the original days because that was the focus of Graining, Sam Simon, James L. Brooks, that was the show. Graining, it just sits back and counts his money now. I don't think he needs to do anything else. Oh, yeah, else. So, I mean... Uh, his, the, favorite the, line, his favorite line from that show is, I call the big one bitey from the monorail episode. <laughs> I call the big one bitey. <laughs> um, uh, I will say this. I, I don't think The Simpsons is as good. Um, but the writing, I will, I will agree with you that the fact that yes, it is better than any sitcom. Like, like, fine, you know, the idea. Mike and Molly just got um, canceled, and I don't like, yeah. I don't like shows with fat people. They, they, I, they, does something to me, and they're overly fat. And and I'm sorry if that sounds like I'm anti-fat, but they're just they're obnoxiously fat. I don't know how that show lasted as long as it did. I watched some episodes. Eh, I cracked a smile a few times, but like you said, everything's got to be some sort of sexual innuendo and, and, and laugh tracks. I feel as if they, they cater to the dumbest form of people yeah. that they need a laugh track to be like, hey, remember, laugh. So, I, and you know what it is? Our short, you know what it is? Our attention spans got shorter. Yeah. The worst, uh, and you know, man, I shouldn't be calling on networks, but what the hell, what the hell anyway. Yeah, uh, CBS, every, every sitcom has a laugh track. And what I loved about The Office was that it did have a laugh track. It made you laugh. What I love about Modern Family is that they don't have a laugh track. It makes you laugh. You're supposed to laugh. Uh, laugh tracks just force it on you, and after a while, it's just not funny anymore. I agree wholeheartedly. And, Neil, I think that's all I got for you. There will be no laugh tracks on December 23rd from 1 a.m. to 2 a.m., and people will be paying attention. They have a long attention span when Neil Dwyer is on the air, so I'm looking forward to it. Listen, buddy, thanks so much for having me on. Like I said, I basically had to beg and plead my way oh, to get on the shut up. up. You had Simon on twice. I, I mean, come on. After, I, how much can you hear him, you know, get mad at the Giants after a while? It's just it's enough. I brought the two giant, one Giant fan and one Jet fan on to scream and yell at each other, and it worked. So, Neil, you're on the podcast. I appreciate you coming on, and good luck to you on December 23rd, and I hope it does lots of big and uh, great things for you, all right? I thank you so much. I appreciate it. So there you have Neil Dwyer. Uh, I want to thank him for coming on the podcast, and good luck to him on WFAN next week. Uh, hope everyone enjoyed it. You can always listen to the show on iTunes, tune in Radio Stitcher, YouTube, and follow me at BrianBuck13 and at RedTicketBlues. Remember to leave a review wherever you're listening, and with all that being said, I'm out of here. <laughs>